this is something that I think will continue to happen across the country with municipal broadband and private capital getting injected in. Welcome to episode 386 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. We've interviewed guests on the podcast before that discuss different types of collaboration. This week, we have three people who are here to talk about the new partnership in Ohio that centers around the Medina County Fiber Network. We've had one of them on the show before, David Corrado, CEO of the network, and this time he's joined by Brian Snyder and Ben Lewis Ramirez from Lit Communities. In this conversation, we learn more about Lit Communities. David also provides a refresher on the Medina County Network's progress and why they decided it was time to bring services to residents. Christopher, David, Brian, and Ben also talk about the partnership between the network and Lit Communities and their new entity, Medina Fiber, and the plans they have to serve residents. We get to learn about how private capital is playing a part in this community-based project, more about the model, and some of the innovative services that Medina Fiber will offer the local community. Now here's Christopher talking with David Corrado from the Medina County Fiber Network and with Brian Snyder and Ben Lewis Ramirez from Lick Communities. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in sunny, if chilly, Minneapolis. Uh, Today I'm speaking with a trio of folks that are doing a pretty exciting project together. I'm going to start by introducing Brian Snyder, the CEO of Lit Communities. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here, bud. We also have Ben Lewis Ramirez, who's the Chief Marketing Officer for Lit Communities. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And we also have a returning champion, who actually is a returning champion from an episode three years ago, Dave Corrado, the CEO of Medina County Fiber Network in Ohio. Welcome back, Dave. Good afternoon, Chris. It's always nice speaking with you. Well, and I've appreciated your support over the years. I know you've followed our work and supported it and and uh, done a lot of great things that we can report on. So um, let me start, though, by going back to Lit Communities and asking Brian first, uh, what is Lit Communities? And please, no references to marijuana. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was hard uh, actually getting that uh, domain name. It, it took us a while <laughs> to find the right one, and it was, uh, yeah, very strategic thinking when it came to that. So, now the co- the core of Lit Communities um, and the name is is we we ultimately want to light fiber access networks in a more open access capacity. Uh, the idea of Lit Communities was actually created four or five years ago when we started focusing more on municipal broadband and really trying to bring them into the 21st century for how this needs to get executed all the way from a engineering to an operational standpoint. Lit Communities is a group that can come in and and work with municipalities to get fiber connectivity to their residents in a efficient way. And Medina's, uh, County and working with Dave for the past couple of years, they've been our really first project and has been really the, the emphasis of why Lit Communities got created to show that the open access community broadband network can still come to the table through a private capital standpoint as well, which I think makes this project extremely unique. Ben, let me ask you to, uh, specifically if you want to tell us a little bit about the history of uh, the, the key players in Lit Communities, what projects they've worked on, uh, with this being kind of a high-profile project of you all working together for the first time. 
most of us come from a background um, working in the outside plant engineering industry. We've all spent time working for some of the big uh, tier one providers in that space, uh, AT&T, Google Fiber, Verizon, et cetera. Um, and it became apparent to us uh, after doing that sort of work for a few years um, that the uh, smaller municipalities and more rural communities were being left behind as those big companies were making their investment into, you know, the lower hanging fruit of the denser, more urban market. And so at the time, we began a consulting practice uh, with a previous employer where we did essentially outreach um, to municipalities and, and tried to help them navigate the process of deploying their own network infrastructure, which is, as you know, is extremely complicated, many moving parts. There's a lot to balance. Um, and, and, you know, we felt at the time and still feel to this day that uh, in some ways the consulting community has, um, has let down the municipalities in this country by sort of perpetuating these um, feasibility study after feasibility study. And, and so, you know, our interest then as now is how do we go from knowing that demand exists in a, in a given place. And, and, you know, we can say that with certainty about most every small community in this country um, to how do we go about making a network actually happen there? Um, and, you know, how do we have to get creative about um, finding the financing to, to do it? And that really is what drew us to the open access, open application business model that, um, you know, we so proudly espouse. That way of looking at, at the network as, a, as separating it from the services that are provided on it really allows for some creative uh, funding sources that, you know, are not available to uh, a network builder in a traditional operating model. So, you know, using software-defined networking, we can separate layers of the network for residential service, business service. We can offer telehealth. Um, we can offer uh, a backhaul for cellular providers and the wireless carriers. We can offer capacity uh, to the community itself for smart city applications that are, um, you know, bandwidth heavy. And we can do all of that with the same network infrastructure, and we can do it um, in a way that's extremely consumer friendly. And so it's it's sort of this triple win, and and kind of coming from that background, doing all of that work together in the past, we knew that this would work. Our motto is it's always feasible. And, you know, we were extremely fortunate to develop a relationship with uh, Dave Corrado and, and the Medina County Fiber Network, um, which, you know, provides that crucial middle mile component for us that, that makes it much easier to, uh, to make a build happen in these smaller places. Let's jump over to to Dave to remind us about, and I want to be clear about this because it could get a little confusing later on with another entity that has a similar name, but the Medina County Fiber Network. Uh, Dave, just a, a quick refresher on what's happening there. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll keep it at a 50,000 mile view, if you will, because uh, I know that your listeners have, uh, have listened to us previously about the networks. Just to be clear, Dave, 50,000-mile view puts you pretty far into orbit. <laughs> <laughs> let's go 50,000 feet, shall we? Okay, let's, let's do that How's one. that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so Medina County Fiber Network is um, a 150-mile open access network, which means that um, we have our network built throughout the county. And our goal is to provide a better transport model 
for 13 carriers that are connected to our network selling lit services. So about 90% of our revenue is lit services and 10% are dark fiber IRUs. We adopted this model um, for two reasons. One, from an economic development perspective, having a choice of carriers and having the ability for carrier diversity was uh, much more attractive from what we heard from businesses that were here and uh, from businesses that were looking to come here. Um, the second thing is we were not in the area of competing with the existing carriers. We wanted to make their product better. So we offer this um, high, fast, uh, very redundant, great diversity network that they can run their services over. But we realized about four years ago that we needed to move into the residential market, which is why we're on this podcast today. Right, because I suspect that even though you have really great partnerships with uh, those carriers that are providing services, that they're looking to you or some other entity to pay for extending the fiber that you have so that they can use it some more. Uh, that's exactly right, Chris. We are definitely in a situation now where there were two driving factors. One, to start building the network in areas we weren't with a partner. Um, to handle some of that commercial piece. And number two is to get to the market where we weren't and people kept asking us, which was the residential households. Now, I think the, the next step, although I'm, I'm willing to be overruled, but probably come back to you, Brian, and, and I think to explain Medina Fiber, which is, as I said, it's distinct from the Medina County Fiber Network. What, what is Medina Fiber? It, it, it does get a little confusing there, but we we're, we're, want to keep the same motto that Dave and the Medina County Fiber Network has kept going in regards to an open access community-based uh, infrastructure. So through partnership of lit communities, uh, Peak Communications, uh, they're a smart communication systems company, uh, we'll be putting together the financing and creating Medina Fiber LLC, which will uh, build out infrastructure connected to the middle mile network of Dave's and go to the home offering uh, internet voice telehealth and smart home applications. We'll be starting uh, actually our kickoff event is on December 13th there locally. Uh, our phase one build out is roughly to 6,100 homes, including the townships and villages of Seville, Westfield Center and Guilford in Medina. So we're, we're really excited to announce the creation of that and you know, it couldn't have come together without partnerships like Dave and what they've done at Medina County Fiber Network. It gives us the ability to actually execute this with the correct business plan. And Dave, we've been, I guess we started this process almost a year and a half ago, and it's nice to obviously see this come to fruition, but it's taken that long to get everything planned and set up the right way where we can execute the right way the first time. You're exactly right. And, you know, they say time flies and you're having fun. Um, this has been a real roller coaster ride, but in a good way. Um, you know, they say that when you're starting a business, the highs are extra high and the lows are extra low. Um, but uh, we are very happy to be partnering with Lit Communities because their strategic direction uh, works so well with what we've had in place here now for the last seven years. Who should speak on the uh, private capital approach rather than uh, you know a, a more traditional f uh, revenue bond or or something like that? Because I, I think that uh, the role of private capital in this is a is a pretty important piece. 
I'm going to let Brian speak to the private capital. I'm just going to, I'll touch on the bond just so we can set the base for, uh, for your listeners. Um, so Medina County uh, bonded approximately $15 million in 2010 uh, to build out the entire structure for the transport rather than building a section at a time and then going for additional bonding. It was sort of both feet uh, jumping into the pool at once. And it was basically because uh, in order for us to obtain the connections with all the carriers we were targeting, we had to have multiple connection points, which means uh, we had to have the network connected and built in redundant rings. Um, but when you get to that point, as any company, the governments are the same. You can only really bond so much money that your government can support until the entity starts running. So that's where then we had to look for a partner with the private equity and I'll let Brian speak to that. Yeah, and that's where, Chris, we see more from when we started this process, again, it was more about four or five years ago, we knew that private capital had to get injected into this model for rural infrastructure to catch up with how fast technology is changing. If it, if it didn't, we would continue to be left behind and there'd be a bigger and bigger digital divide. And so we started pitching our model to private investors uh, and, and trying to find the right partner that understands the ebbs and flows of this telecom industry world and infrastructure that we, we live and breathe in. And that, that's been on our side a little challenging because our model is different. We are not the service provider that's providing the end user the, the service, but we are the company that's providing the infrastructure to get you connected for that bandwidth. And once the private side and private capital has seen this more of like a, you know, it's electric energy type investment for a new utility, it, it's now sparked, I've really seen it in the past two years, uh, private capital looking at this type of fiber infrastructure investment differently. I think it's going to continue to happen this way. And, you know, luckily we've been able to raise the financing needed for Medina and trying to build a financial structure that gives us the ability to scale. We've raised private capital for phase one, which is roughly about $8 million and what we're estimating through the rest of the county deployment we plan on also working with uh, local banks to try to offset some of this with debt as well. So it'll still be a mixture of how we expand across the county, but governments move at glacier speeds when it comes to trying to get bonds and all this situated. And like Dave said, you get to a point where you can only do so much from that side. And we've seen projects just drag on for years because of that. We would rather inject the private capital to get the project going, even though it's, it's still a community-based infrastructure then we give the ability for the towns and even Medina County later on down the road, if they want to purchase back the network, it's a lot easier to do that through revenue bonds and through bonds of a different mean at that stage. So this was uh, this is something that I think will continue to happen ac across the country with municipal broadband and private capital getting injected in. I want to come back to the municipal base, but I wanted to make sure that we also spend some time on the open access portion. And you know, Ben, as the chief marketing officer, I'm guessing that you're not only marketing to potential subscribers, but you're trying to find a good mix of ISPs to operate on the network. Can you tell us what's happening on that side of it? Certainly. I think um, the ultimate goal 
of of people who advocate for open access is is to get the big incumbent carriers to start writing the networks. Um, but you know, we're under no illusion that that's going to happen anytime soon. Let me just say that some of us are very enthusiastic about open access and and would prefer not to have the incumbents <laughs> for complicated reasons. That might be a good future show, but I just wanted to to throw a little monkey wrench in there. Sure, certainly. Um, I, I guess I say that as a way of saying that, you know, in my mind, open access is sort of the inevitable future. And um, to me, when the incumbents start to embrace it, that's that's when we know we've really gotten there and, and we've sort of passed the point of no return. Um, but that you're right, a conversation for another day. Well, I think that's a good, I think your measure is a good one. It, it is. <laughs> You know, for, fortunately for us, while while this is sort of one of the first um, uh, kind of public-private ventures into the open access uh, world that's that's being funded with private capital, um, you know, there are examples of um, healthy uh, open access network environments elsewhere in the country. Uh, you know, I, I, I love to point out um, Utopia Fiber as being a great example of that. Um, and then also um, to give a shout out to NoahNet um, in Washington State. And so, you know, we're really fortunate in the areas of, of service providers um, in that there are kind of these high quality ISPs that have already proven their ability to um, successfully operate a business um, without owning the network infrastructure themselves. And so those are sort of our first go-tos. Um, we also look uh, at, at, you know, obviously at this point, I think that the, the relationship between um, fiber-based broadband infrastructure and economic development is fairly well understood. Um, and, and one thing that uh, can be observed in um, other markets where open access networks are, are the norm is that you wind up with these, you know, smaller, more grassroots um, companies that are able to give a local uh, uh, option to people. Um, and, you know, something like in, in my home state of Colorado, there's something along the lines of 200 internet service providers. Most of them are WISPs um, with very small footprints. Um, but it's those small, hungry companies um, who deliver great customer service, um, you know, who value each and every customer uh, extremely dearly because, you know, they have a, a, a relatively small um, uh, footprint. Those are the companies that are really interested in in this model because it really sort of democratizes the capital expenditure that's necessary to, to go in. Um, and, and again, you know, as, as the open access uh, advocate, like, um, you know, giving consumers the the ability to choose between service providers and in an in an app store like environment where they can just pick a la carte um, between different companies based you know purely on price and the customer service experience that they've gotten for them. You know, I, I think that that's a world that we can all agree would be a lot better than um, the paradigm that most of us live in now. Well, one of the apps that it looks like you'll be launching with in these uh, this this first phase is uh, telehealth, um, and I'm curious how uh, that might work for people who have seen um, you know, all kinds of different ways telehealth can be implemented. Uh, what's the approach of the, the the ISP that you're working with here? Yeah, so Docity is going to be our telehealth provider, Chris. Uh, locally, they've they've also worked with EPB and Chattanooga's network and. 
it's going to bring each resident in Medina County uh, the ability for home health care services where the, we have to have the proper fiber connectivity to where they're going to have the ability to sit in front of their computer and stream a doctor's visit online. And we will build in packages that will be based on how many visits the consumer goes to the doctor basically at home. And we'll be working with DOSI to structure packages that will be set up for them to choose from where they could pay for per doctor visit or potentially just uh, unlimited doctor visits that'll get set up. And we're really excited about that piece being on the network day one. That'll be uh, educational uh, for a lot of uh, residents there. And we're excited to be teaching them how, how to use that. And eventually it'll evolve to where it transitions into being able to age in place and things like that, which is going to be huge for rural areas, but even in urban areas for that matter. That's why the this open access component gives the ability to bring those different services day one to the residents. And yeah, this is a it's a good opportunity to note that I'm, I kind of made a weird cryptic comment. I am, as you all know, I am a, a very strong supporter of open access, although I do worry about having communities having a single physical network. And so in the ideal world that I've played with is one that is somewhat inefficient from a physical point of view in that, you know, I would see that a cable provider ideally sticking around in the community and uh, offering services distinctly so that you had competition at the physical layer, perhaps between two or three networks, but then a lot of competition and, and innovation within the open access layer. So we don't have to go further down my um, theorizing, or you don't have to tell me I'm wrong in front of all my listeners. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out there rather than remaining cryptic. Um, I do want to ask you, and I want to give you a little bit of a warning. Um, I want to ask what um, success would look like in two years. Like, do you have a, if you have a sense of that? But first, um, while you're pondering that, uh, Brian, I want to stick with you for a second uh, to ask about the community-based um, approach. So, so Medina Fiber is going to own the assets, right? And I'm, I'm curious how that works. And you know my preference for um, public ownership, and so I'm just I'm curious if you can walk us through how that works. Medina Fiber will be privately owned. Again, we we branded the infrastructure as Medina Fiber that will will own it all the way to the electronics. We want to set it up though, at, based off of feedback from the community too. So one of the first things that we'll do when we come into Medina is we'll actually set up a demonstration center where we're going to educate the community on exactly what different services that are going to be provided across it. So the fact that we're still privately invested in the actual last mile infrastructure or the infrastructure all the way to the home uh, in this project, it's still all community based from that perspective that eventually we want to bring on services new onto the network based on feedback from the community. Uh, the, the reason why we're doing this is because the community needed it. The demand has been unbelievably positive in the, the need for better connectivity amongst the entire county, uh, need for choices. And that was one of the reasons why we actually expanded phase one. Uh, we originally were, uh, we expanded about 2,500 additional homes and raised additional financing for that because the demand has been so positive there in the county. 
So it, it's structured privately from the financing standpoint, but we're, we're looking at it as it's still the community's network through and through. So you're going to see Medina Fiber riding around town, uh, c- connecting people's homes and, and working through that from start to finish. So it, it, there's a really gray line, Chris, I think, between this almost looking like still a public-owned infrastructure project. You know, uh, in our time um, working predominantly as consultants, a mindset that we encountered very, very frequently was that um, the local government, you know, despite the fact that they might offer, um, you know, electric or or water utilities to their residents, um, this mindset that the local government had no business competing against the private sector if, if there was a private sector company already kind of working in that space and serving the community. We were honestly somewhat surprised to encounter that mindset as frequently as we did, because very often, as you're well aware, you know, these small rural communities um, are are treated quite terribly by their incumbent service provider. And yet, you know, uh, uh, there is a, a philosophy that says, well, you know, you let the private sector do its thing um, and, the, and the government should stay out of it. So that's actually what initially attracted me to the open access concept in the first place. It was like, well, okay, we're not telling you to compete with the private sector. We're telling you to build neutral infrastructure that will enable a greater degree of private sector competition. Um, but, you know, even that argument seemed to fall flat time and time again. And to be perfectly blunt, you know, maybe uh, overly, you know, candid here, part of the reason that we started with communities in the first place was because, you know, we were tired of encountering that scenario. And we thought, you know, look, there's a, there's a clear demand here. Um, we have uh, a paradigm which is uh, substantially improved. Would it be best uh, for this infrastructure to be treated as a utility and offered by the municipality? Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and I, I think there's plenty of places around the country where that's happening and happening successfully. But you know, for political or philosophical reasons, or however you want to cut it, there are places that are always just going to be resistant to that. Those are the places that are a good fit for this, uh, you know, infusion of private capital that we're seeing with the Medina Fiber Project. Well, and I think one of the things that that we like to celebrate here is people that get stuff done and, and go out and do it. So, and that's the important part. Is that there was a comment earlier that I, I think you made, Ben, about the sort of endless cycle of feasibility studies, and and I think that's it's depressing. Um, among communities that get get caught in that cycle, I wouldn't put that only at the feet of of consultants. I think there's reasons that that happens, but I really like that you've developed an alternative model that can work for a lot of communities. Um, now, I want to I want to ask you, Dave, um, quickly before I get to this this final, what does success look like? Um, you know, it does seem like the local mayors are really enthusiastic about this, and I was just curious if you can reflect on that a little bit. The political landscape from the commissioners to the mayors to, um, you know, township councils are very excited about this because it's a great example of how a public-private partnership can work. I think we've seen either ends of the spectrum where either a government owns a municipal network or we have the private carrier whose strategic direction is to make money for their company rather than really looking into the needs of the community. 
So we are able to blend this by taking our backbone that connects the lit community infrastructure and deliver, as Brian mentioned, what the community really needs. And all of that, I have to keep going back to economic development. I have a ton of statistics, but just one that really brings this home is that of the $400 million plus of economic development in the past three years here in Medina County, 72% of that was done by people who are using Medina County fiber. Um, and as I mentioned, there are a lot of other statistics about employment and new jobs, et cetera. So we know it works and, and it's just a domino effect when the companies come in and the economy rises, et cetera. So that's why the excitement among our, uh, among our political um, individuals here, because they know that we have this partnership even though it's a private organization, the strategy is still to build a community. And, and I think people are going to be really refreshed to see that um, private companies and public municipal companies and networks can really work together to put something great together. Let me let me ask you to quickly, Brian, trace the money with me for a second. So there's um, Peak Communications um, sets up Medina Fiber with $8 million that's used to build physical stuff, right? And then uh, people in their homes, they connect um, and they pay a service provider, presumably. I'm, just, I'm getting a little bit out on the, the thinner branches now. Um, some of that money goes back to Edina Fiber then to pay back that cost. Some of it goes to the service provider. And then um, that's more or less the, the model, right? Yeah, you nailed it on the head. So basically, it's it's wholesale fees that the providers would be paying to us based on the service that they're providing to the residential customer. So the, the residents in Medina County would pay uh, one bill that would be then decimated across to the providers based on what our agreements are that. And it would be the same wholesale fee for telehealth and for smart home applications and things like that that we bring onto the network. So it's almost like we're charging a toll to provide the services across it. Okay, so let me ask you, um, I'll ask you if you have any final points we want to make. But first, uh, what does success look like? I mean, are there things that you have in your mind, like goals for, for instance, two years from now that will that will prove that you're on the right track with this approach? We do. And the first thing I want to say, though, is we feel like we've already gotten ourselves set up for success based on the partnerships and the public-private partnerships, especially, that we have been able to create. What Dave's been able to do to support us and Medina County Fiber Networks can't be mis misunderstood. And the local support from the mayors, the residents, the whole community is bent over backwards to make this happen. And seeing that is what, what we, we get up every day trying to accomplish. And that in itself has created the ability where we, we know we're going to be successful in this market. And I, I think that can't be stated enough that our, the partnerships through and through in this is what's truly going to make it happen. And we've been able to do a good job locally in Medina to rally all the right partners from the public private standpoint to get this done. So success to this point, we, we've already met a lot of that for two years out, Chris, I really think we want to be constructed past the 6,100 homes that we have outlined in uh, phase one right now that we would have fiber in front of each home so they would have the ability to access that. Um, and then we would also rate success by that we're moving into the other towns uh, throughout the county. We'd, 
really would like to get into Brunswick, Montville, the city of Medina within the next two years as well. So success is going to be getting fiber in front of all these 6,100 homes in, in the next two years so they can have the connectivity and choices that we're going to be able to provide and then moving across the county at a, hopefully a, a very quick rate. Dave, do you have any uh, additional thoughts? Uh, I think I think Brian did an excellent job, you know, talking about how the community has rallied together. And I'm always open to talk with any colleagues uh, across the country trying to do this. Always love when we get calls from other states and uh, people that have interest in this area. And I, I do appreciate your willingness to be connected to folks. I've taken advantage of that more than once. Uh, ben, any any additional thoughts? Part of the reason that we started in the in the area of Medina County that we did is because you know it is um, part of the the more sparsely uh, uh, populated part of the county, and so you know we really wanted to prove that this model works. Our whole it's always feasible motto, um, you know, being applied uh, to the real world. And so having said that, you know, we we did that really confidently because of the just tremendous groundswell of support from the community itself. Um, and so we really want to do right by the rest of the county and, and build out uh, to everyone. You know, hopefully within two years, we will have successfully done that and we'll be uh, already expanding the network, possibly even outside the, the boundaries of the county. Is there anything else that uh, we should talk about before we say goodbye? The last thing, Chris, is your Minnesota Gophers have made an incredible run this year. I've been excited watching them battle through the Big Ten. Well, um, you know, we uh, you're from Alabama, aren't you? I am, but I've actually uh, I've got more Michigan roots than than Alabama roots. I've seen that on <laughs> on Twitter, and I've been meaning to uh, to make some sort of annoying comment about it. But it is kind of funny that we may end up really seeing how good this team is if we're going up against Alabama in a bowl game, which is a, a strong possibility right now. Chris, I think I, I that'll like be the proof of... I, I will, Sorry, we can't let the Ohio say, State I'll be, guy talk. I'll be rooting for your gophers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the proof of the pudding of this whole project. We got Brian, who's a Michigan fan, and... We have me, who's Ohio State. If we can get together and make this project work, <laughs> I think anybody can. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I did want to. I did want to one other thing, and that's that Lit Communities is not, um, as far as I understand, putting all its eggs in the uh, Medina basket. Also, you are evaluating other projects along uh, similar models, right? Correct. Yeah, we're we're working in a couple other communities across the nation where we we go through a process of, of the same thing that we've done in Medina, where we evaluate how much the network's going to cost, what the demand's going to look like, and then try to build a, a business plan and a financial model around that. And we're looking at probably going to be announcing hopefully a couple more communities first quarter of next year. So be on the lookout for that too. It's, it's exciting times for municipal broadband, and we just want to keep the momentum going. Yes, and I'm, I'm excited about more open access. So I'm, I'm really glad you're, you're, you're proving out this new model. If we're going to Southern Medina County to prove that this works, you know, a, a sparsely populated rural area, you know, part of the communities that are on the wrong side of the digital divide are in our big metro cities and, you know, the, the sort of um, underserved um, urban communities. And so, you know, we'll be looking to prove our model in, in a market like that, um, you know, before we start expanding into suburbia. So, be prepared for some big announcements from Lit Communities. It's going to be a really exciting 2020. Excellent. 
Well, thank you all so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you, Dave, for returning. And we'll look forward to seeing what happens next. That was Christopher with David Corrado from the Medina County Fiber Network, along with Brian Snyder and Ben Lewis Ramirez from Lick Communities. They were talking about the partnership between the network and the firm to bring residential service to the region via the fiber infrastructure. Learn more about the Medina County Fiber Network at muninetworks.org at the Medina County tag. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle License to Creative Commons, and thank you for listening to episode 386 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. <laughs>